Is mental illness striking our children, or is it maybe something else? Randy Newman may have been right when he's saying about short people, and, of course, everything is racist. This is Gene, and you're listening to Dumbasses Talking Politics, a Saturday edition. Hey, hey, this is Gene. Welcome back to Dumbasses Talking Politics. Yep, we're doing a Saturday show. I told you I wanted to get this done. Uh, I had some other writing to do, so I didn't do it on Friday. But this is, this is kind of an important story. So there is some fun stuff to talk about today. But first, we're going to talk about something that really is bothering me. This is one that I, this, has been a, this uh, report has been around for a while. It's been around for about two weeks. And I never really got to it. And I thought it was kind of important to talk about it simply because we talked about our children being transed our children being gay, our children being indoctrinated into CRT. And there is, we, I mean, locking them away for two years. All of this stuff has consequences. And it's never been brought up. And now we can take a look at it. Now, this is coming from the Christian Post. And if you go to dumbasses.com, you can actually look at, read the article. It's a very interesting article. It is a little bit longer, but it is disturbing here. So let's go to it, through it. So nearly 70% of Generation Z, people born between 1997 and 2012, say their mental health was adversely impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic, with 42% of adult members of the cohort reporting that they have been diagnosed with mental health condition, and many of them say they are worried about the future. A new study from the data management firm Harmony Healthcare IT shows the study which is based in a survey of 1,055 Gen Z members from age 18 to 24 in September, included 47% men, 45% women, 6% who identify as non-binary, of course, you've got to have that, and 2% of trans-identified individuals. So I just want to point out, just, just by looking at that, the 6% that say they're non-binary and the 2% who are trans-identified, you can already see there's that's... 8% that have already got mental illness because you can't be non-binary. There's no such thing. And there's no such thing as trans individuals. They already have issues. But I will tell you what, that's part of the problem. Continuing, according to the report, some 57% of Gen Z adults struggling with their mental health reported taking medication to alleviate their, alleviate their condition and paying on average $44 a month. And the most frequently cited condition were anxiety and depression, which was reported by 90% and 78% of respondents, respectively. Now, the article breaks this stuff down. So ADHD, which is uh, Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, 27%. I, yeah. PTSD, 20%. 20% have PTSD. We'll get to that. OCD, which is... Um, uh, what is it? Obsessive compulsive disorder, 17%. 14% have an eating disorder. 12% have insomnia. Less than 10% reported more diagnoses of bipolar disorder, addiction and substance abuse, and borderline personality. So researchers said this, quote, nearly a third, 31% of Gen Zers said they would rate their overall mental health in 2022 as bad. When asked 
to describe their mental health over the period of one month, one out of four reported having more bad days than good. On average, Gen Z reported about 10 tough mental health days in a span of a month. That is huge. 10 mental health days. Now, to give you an example, I, I do suffer through depression. Not 10 days a month. I may get depressed once every six months, and usually I can catch it and I deal with it. So why are these people, why do they, my question is, a lot of this stuff, the lockdowns killed us. They hurt us. I don't think it's just the lockdowns, though. The lockdowns didn't help. But I think, I just don't understand if the Christian Science, Christian Monitor is now saying, yeah, lockdowns really hurt these kids. And we knew this two years ago, in the middle of the lockdowns, we knew we could not keep these kids locked up. Why do people keep voting these animals into office? Los Angeles just voted in all the people that they had before. And what's Los Angeles doing? They're thinking of putting back the mask mandates again. Why do we keep voting these people in? The report continues. More than half, 52%, said they feel uncomfortable discussing mental health with their boss. More than 1 in 10 Gen Zers admitted they have had conversation with their boss about it, while 91% of bosses were supportive. About 1 out of 10, 9% were not. With the recent increase in quiet quitting, refusing to do more than what your job description requires, Gen Z, Gen Z is making sure to take care of their mental health on the job. Well, this is part of their problem. If you do not go out there and do your job, take pride in something, right? I, I One of the things, I, I, I loved my job. I, I always felt like I had accomplished something. I always felt good. I had like love telling people what I did. But these people, they don't want to do it. Continuing, more than three in five. That's part of their problem, is that they don't take pride in anything. And if you don't take pride in anything, how can you feel any type of accomplishment? Of course you're going to feel depressed. Continuing, more than three in five, 62%, have taken a mental health day off work or school. In the first eight months of 2022, Gen Z has taken an average of three mental health days to recuperate. Wow. So, okay. Do you really wonder why Gen Z are quitting? Are they lazy? No, of course not. They're victims. The article continues. According to the report, Gen Z also spends an average of four hours daily on social media, particularly YouTube, and many have made a connection to the poor mental health and social media. More than half, 57%, said they had to take a break from social media for their mental health, uh, while other 36% reported that they deleted their social media to protect their mental health. You know, yeah, one of the, one of the things, we have an issue with a family member who has depression, insomnia, things like that, and the first thing the psychiatrist asked, well, how often are you on your phone? And she had said, well, I'm on my phone a lot. She goes, well, how much are you on your phone? And she said she could be on it for six hours a day. And this was during summer, so she didn't, she didn't have school, right? And she, she 
basically the, the doctor said, well, get off your phone. That's half your problem. People don't understand that those phones are really bad for you at night. I don't really use my phone at night. I put my phone away. Today, I'm probably not going to use my phone much at all because you just got to get away from that phone. That blue light really does keep you awake. It does have issues. The report continues. Gen Z is worried about the future. Nearly 90% of Gen Z does not feel like the generation has been set up for success, and 75% feel they have a disadvantage compared to other generations. Well, they do have a disadvantage. I do want to point out, before we sit back and analyze this article a little bit, um, Gen Zers are paying an average of $200 a month on drugs and therapy. That could be one of the reasons why they're starting behind. And, and, and I, I, I have some real thoughts about this, and, and let's, let's go, go over to them. First off, we as a society right now are filling our children with despair. I totally believe this. We've got the death of the nuclear family. There's no mom and dad anymore. The nuclear family is considered nothing. It's even considered evil in schools or depending on what groups you belong to. Even social media says it. The mainstream media says it. We've lost religion. We don't see anything but this life. There is nothing after this life. God does not exist. There is no God. As a matter of fact, if you believe that, you're an idiot. That's what they say. I don't believe it, but that's what they say. So we have nothing but black in the future. Our children have no moral foundation, no one to look up to, because there is no family. And they have an inability to learn how to work within a community, within a society. And what's worse is that a lot of the schools, they're teaching that you are a special human being. You know, everyone gets a trophy. You are special. You are a bright light. Well, guess what happens when you find out that you're not? Which, I'm sorry, there are very few people in the world, in world history, who are truly special. You are a regular person. The problem is when you're raised in schools, I mean, even college is teaching you this. You're raised in school, you're raised in college, that you are something special, and then you realize, oh, no, I'm just a regular guy in society. That can be really depressing, especially when you realize, well, I have nothing, I no God, I have no parents, I have nobody. This is the one thing I appreciated about my family. We were never really a tight family, but we were a nuclear family, is that they always taught me about what it is. You need to work. You need to do this. Nothing's going to be given to you. You're not special. And we used to get upset. We, uh, later on in life, they started giving us trophies and crap. My dad used to just throw them out. He said, well, what was the point of these things? He didn't throw them out, but he, he just said, what is the point of all this? You didn't win. You guys finished. You guys had two wins this year. What do you mean you get a trophy? Society is also adding adding to the panic, adding to the pain, adding to the blackness. Let's take a look at what some of the things society's doing. Climate change. We're all going to die. We're all going to die. AOC said it. We're going to die in 10 years anyway. Pandemics. We could have, and by the way, climate change and pandemics. I mean, they're still talking about pandemics. They're talking about future pandemics. And why are they talking about future pandemics? I mean, monkeypox. They were, gonna, they were talking about closing things down because of monkeypox, which was absolutely asinine. It's a way to, for them to keep power. 
They tell us how our country is terrible. How some of us are oppressors and some of us are victims. And by the way, that has nothing to do with our actions. It's just nature. If you're a white guy, you're evil. You're a colonizer. If you're a black person, you're a victim. You'll never have opportunities. You'll never have power. This is not crap that I was taught when I was a kid. That was a long time ago, but... And then our kids are told they can never... They, they, this is what's amazing. Our kids are told how special they are, and then they're taught completely the opposite in school. You are special, but you're white. You're an oppressor, too. They learn this from the schools. They learn this from the legacy media. They learn this from Hollywood. They learn this from politicians. In the end, there's nothing to be happy about. What is there to look at that makes you happy? Even the holidays, even the holidays are being seen as colonization and racist and all this stuff. You can't even be happy on Christmas. Social media is another huge problem. Social media fakes human contact. People need people. They need to talk to people. Social media is a fake way to talk to people. You, you're sitting back on Twitter or on Facebook or on Instagram or on Snapchat or on TikTok. You look like you're actually communicating with others, and you're not. It's all fake. The other problem I have with this is big pharma and the medical profession. We have gotten to a world now where affirmation therapy, affirmative care, has, got, has hit us everywhere. If someone walks into a... Okay, how was I determined that I was depressed? I walked into the doctor. The doctor asked me, okay, what's going on? And I would list off all the things that was going on. And he would tell me, you're depressed. And then I was thinking, okay, he'll give me a little something to take the edge off. Guess what? He didn't do it. He said, no, it's just going to mess you up. You're not that bad. You're not going to kill yourself. You said so. Why don't you just, instead of sitting around and, and being depressed, go outside and take a walk or go for a run or go exercise, get some light. They don't do that anymore. Okay. Now it's all affirmation therapy. A child, a person can go into a doctor's office and say, I'm depressed. And what will happen? And I've seen this. Don't forget, I used to work in the medical industry. I've seen this. I'm depressed. And what do they do? They don't even spend the time to talk to that individual. They just give them drugs. And then the, if, if the person's depression doesn't go away, they give them another drug. I've seen this. This is happening. This affirmation therapy, and it's all for money. It's all for money. Matt Walsh of the Daily Wire uh, found video of, I believe it was, I can't remember what university, Vanderbilt. I believe it was Vanderbilt University where people were converting children. They were cutting off the breast, healthy breast tissue of 16-year-old girls. Why? Money. Big Pharma, all about money. And then there's a ton of overdiagnosis. Okay, PTSD? Really? I thought only people who were like in war or suffered from extreme violence suffered from PTSD. Now a kid suffers it because they're being bullied in school? OCD and ADHD? Those are horribly over 
over-diagnosed. I know they are. I mean, those things weren't even things 20 years ago. You had you had ADHD. You were just had a lot of energy. I would have been diagnosed with ADHD these days. And OCD, uh, obsessive compulsive disorder, is it a disorder or is it just the kid is... I know a lot of people you who you would say were obsessive compulsive and the fact of the matter is, no, they just are very attentive to detail. They like things clean. Insomnia? When have you ever had a kid sleep? What is and what is the, defined by insomnia? Insomnia used to mean, I do have insomnia, and I'll go three, four days without any sleep. How about this? Insomnia is probably not the big problem. The big problem is you're A, not getting enough exercise, and B, on your phone way too long before bed, way too close to when you're supposed to go to sleep, and then you can't go to sleep. Insomnia has always been a thing, but but the reality is we're not we're just giving drugs we're just assigning things melatonin all this stuff um get off your phone get some exercise go take a jog or something uh and the one thing i i don't agree with this report i think addiction is probably a lot higher than they're making it out to be especially when it comes to women that want to be men and things like that our children are suffering a mental health crisis, but the roots of the crisis are not being looked at. That's the problem. The greedy medical and pharma corporations are pushing this crap for money. Affirmation therapy is not going to the actual roots of the problem. A lot of doctors aren't looking for it either. How do we do this? How about we start fixing our society, start fixing our institutions to be supportive to prepare our children for adulthood. That's really what's important. Our children have to realize that they're going to be adults someday. And it's going to be hard. The 20s are not easy. How about fixing the family? How about making it that a child has a father and a mother? We can do that. People can take responsibility for themselves. Wait until they're ready to have a family. Instead of knocking somebody up and and that's it find religion again i believe this is going to be one of the biggest changes in our society i believe we're heading for another religious revival we've had i think two of them in our history i think we're heading towards another one i think god is going to be important faith is going to be important it doesn't matter which faith i mean the last religious revival i think was in the 1800s and that revival was just basic Christianity. It had nothing to do with um, it had nothing to do with Catholicism or Presbyterianism. It was just basic. There is a God, folks. There is a God. I think this stuff could actually fix society and bring us back. And I do believe I'm going to be positive here. I do believe we're going to hit that time. I just hope it happens before we see mass suicides in 10 years because I got a feeling that's exactly what's going to end up happening. Okay, well, um, the, the left is actually running out of things to call racist and sexist and misogynist and bigoted and all that stuff. So this is, this is an absolutely hysterical article from the Washington Post by Daniel Wu called Shark Week Lacks Diversity Overrepresents Men Named Mike, Scientists Say. 
Now, this is this is <laughs> this I, this this article completely tripped me out. I just couldn't believe that these guys were actually talking about this. So let's start it. Uh, Lisa Whitneck uh, loved sharks as a kid. She spent rainy days leafing through a guide to sharks in Reader's Digest. Every summer, she would watch Shark Week, Discovery and Discovery's annual TV event that spotlights the ocean predator with seven days of dedicated programming. But when the scientist appeared on TV, she rarely saw any women she could look up to. Quote, why would I know, why would I know I could do that, end quote, Whitnack said. Quote, I don't come from a family of scientists. I didn't see many people that look like me on television, end quote. As usual, look, at, when I watch Shark Week with my daughter, too, do you know what my daughter used to say to me? Look at the size of that thing. Do you know what she never said to me? Um, why are there no women or people of color with the sharks? That was never a thing. She never said that. But, you know, to each his own. You know, you want to be miserable watching Shark Week? That's fine. We preferred to look at the sharks. Anyway, Whitnack, now a biology professor at Allegheny College in Medfell, Pennsylvania, found her way into shark research anyway. When the pandemic lockdowns came in 2020, she saw an opportunity to study the source of her old misconceptions. Was Shark Week feeding audiences the wrong messages about sharks? And who studies them? Whitenack led a team of researchers to examine hundreds of Shark Week episodes and aired between 1988 and 2020. In a study published last month in the Public Library of Science, their research claims that Discovery's programming emphasized negative messages about sharks, lacked useful messaging about about shark conservation and overwhelmingly featured white men as experts, including several with the same name. The programming featured more white experts and commentators named Mike than women, said David Schiffman, a, conser a conservationist at Arizona State University who was the co-author of the study. But, quote, but when there are hundreds of people of color interested who work in this field, and when my field is more than half women, maybe it's not an accident anymore that they're only featuring white men, end quote, Schiffman stated. So let me get this straight. This broad, like sharks, decides she's going to become a marine biologist, become, goes to school, becomes a marine biologist to study the science, and then she uses that marine biology degree for a sociological study? What happened to the sharks? Here's the thing. This gal is a science and scientist, and she's not doing any science. Wu is fooled into believing that what this gal is doing is science. It has nothing to do. Studying the guy's names on the Discovery Channel shows is not science. That's just, look, that's a sociological study, which is not is definitely not a science. So, we'll continue with the article. Whitnack's study found that the trend persisted throughout almost all the television events history. Over 90% of the 229 experts featured in the 2001 in 2010 Shark Week, or 201 Shark Week episodes were white, the study found. About 78% were men. Car Carly Bohannon, 
a marine biologist and co-founder of Minorities and Shark Sciences. Do you see a problem here? <laughs> you see a problem? Okay, you're a marine biologist and you run something called Minorities and Shark Sciences. You're a sociologist. You're not a marine biologist. You're not a, you're not a, a, a scientist. You're a sociologist. That's not science. Praise the study for putting numbers to her uh, to her and her colleagues' long-standing concerns about diversity in both the media and shark science. When Bohannon founded her organization with three other black scientists in 2020, it was the first time that any of them had met other black women in the field. Do you know what never comes up in this article? What is the percentage of black marine biologists studying sharks? Or what is the percentage of black marine biologists? I would bet my left arm it's probably less than 10%. For some reason, leftists feel that every occupation needs to be made up mostly of men and blacks. I won't even say people of color, because it's blacks that they specifically concentrate on. You never see anyone complaining that there aren't enough Hispanics researchers in marine biology. It's always blacks, and it's always women. By the way, what's the population of, what's the black population in the United States? It's 13%. How can you have a majority black in every occupation? Okay, this thing continues. According to the separate diversity study co-written by Schiffman, more than half the members of the American Elas Branch Society, I, I know I butchered that, an academic group supporting the study of sharks and other fish are women, but over 70% of the group's leadership positions have been held by men. Women in marine sciences can also face misogynistic culture, marine biologist Catherine McDonald wrote in Scientific American in 2020. All right, so the question is, why aren't there more women in leadership positions. There are some women, there are 30% of them are in leadership. But why are is leadership made up of 70%? Are those men unqualified that are in leadership? Are the women within the group that aren't leaders, are they more qualified? Is there a vote? Why exactly are there 70%? And by the way, misogynistic culture in marine biology? Can you give me an example of this? Of course they don't, though. They never discuss any of the things. They just come up with these, these surface-level declarations, but never actually say why or what. I want to point out that we've talked about three female, female biologists, marine biologists, mentioned in this article. All we know is most studying the sharks are white men, I, I would assume straight too, named Mike. None of these biologists do any studies or even talk about the sharks throughout this entire article. Lisa Wetnack has spent her entire career so far writing about diversity in marine biology. That's, again, not science. And has nothing to do with studying sharks or any other animal that I see so far. All she's doing is sociology. That's not a science. And then she wonders why she can't be, get it, become a leadership head in the science community. Okay, let's well, a couple more paragraphs here. Quote: Shark Week, or I'm um, Shark Week, further concentrates power in the form of publicity and media attention in the hands of white male quote featured scientists end quote exasperating academic power imbalances. 
McDonald wrote. In the latest study, Whitnack and other researchers also found that more Shark Week episodes included stories of attacks and other fear-mongering messages than positive language describing sharks as awe-inspiring or ecologically important, which the study called a missed opportunity. Okay, here's a newsflash. Um, Shark Week is a series of television shows about sharks. Here's something also wild and crazy. Sharks attack people. And people like to listen to that and hear how people got away. This is all stupid. This is all stupid. And this woo got fooled. But the problem is they're having troubles finding lots of different things that are, how shall we say, misogynistic and racist. So let's make Shark Week misogynistic and racist. And by the way, Discovery Channel, they didn't respond to these guys. (laughs) Probably a good reason why. All right, it's Saturday, so we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna go to this next story, and this is a great story. Okay, so according to the Daily Mail, this is this is funny. With the with the pound short king spring trending on social media earlier this year, I don't know what that is for. It would seem the trope of tall, dark, and handsome for the perfect man has its day. Heartthrobs Joe Jonas and Tom Holland, both five foot eight, are often seen proudly walking on the red carpet with their taller significant others, Sophie Turner and Zendaya. But the scientists say those those looking for vertically challenged partners may need to proceed with ca- caution. Okay, this is great. You're gonna love this. All right, I promise it gets better. Here we go. Its lead author, Monica Kowalski from the University of Warclaw in Poland, said, quote, when people cannot be physically formidable, they may become psychologically formidable instead. Shorter people with traits such as psychopathy can use them to demand respect, impose costs on others, and impress romantic partners. Appearing more powerful may turn, may, may in turn make other people perceive them as taller than they really are. So, all this seems as kind of a reach. Short people have a tendency to be psychotic. That's basically where this is coming. It's, it's worse. It gets worse. All right. She continues with this example. This is a domineering, aggressive attitude displayed by shorter people compensating for their lack of height. It is named after French leader Napoleon Bonaparte, who is reported to be either 5'2 or 5'7", in different historical accounts and mocked by British newspapers for his height during the French Revolution. He was also portrayed by his enemies to be an angry man who sought power and war, and his alleged smaller stature was linked to these characteristics. Miss Kowalska wanted to see if there was a connection between men deemed shorter than average and displaying the dark triad personality traits. These are psychopathy, defined by lack of empathy and antisocial behavior, Narcissism, a self-centered personality style, and Machiavellianism, demonstrating the manipulation and indifference towards morality. Now, I do want to point out, I know this is supposed to be a woke thing, and it is woke. This is why I dismiss this article right off the bat. Not to mention, I'm not exactly the tallest guy, but isn't this a type of ableism? Isn't this, well, you're short, which means you've got a physical characteristic flaw and i'm gonna point it out and you probably have these mental flaws right because right isn't that ableism 
So let's talk about our study. So let's read on. Researchers surveyed 367 men and women using Dirty Dozen Dark Triad Questionnaire. These participants were asked how strongly they agree with the phrases such I, te I tend to manipulate others to get my way. From responses, they were given a score that indicated strongly whether they demonstrated psychopathy, narcissism, and Machiavellianism. Each, each participant also had to disclose their height as well as indicate how satisfied they were with their height and how frequently they felt this way about it. The results show shorter participants of both sexes who wished to be taller tended to score more highly for all other dark triad traits. However, narcissism was particularly strong with male participants in this category, while the trend was non-existent for women. Okay, there we go. Right off the bat, I, you're, you're determining someone's psycho, whether someone's a psychopathic narcissist who's power-hungry by giving them a piece of paper and filling in some answers to some questions. That, uh, yeah, I probably have a problem with the study. The other thing is, narcissism among women is non-existent? I mean, what about Imelda Marcos, Hillary Clinton, Meghan Markle? Hell, my ex-wife. All these women ex display narcissism and power. Uh, request Imelda Marco, Hillary Clinton. They do nothing but try to look for power. Meghan Markle, the same thing. She's looking for power within her family. Now, I, I, this is just a BS study. And here's the thing. Let's look at some true narcissistic sociopaths in history, okay? And let's compare their heights because I, I did have to look this up. This is one of the reasons why this is running a little later. So Hitler, five foot nine, average height. Lenin, five foot five, shorter. Mussolini, five foot seven, little shorter than, than average. Stalin, five foot five. I think five foot five is a real kicker for Stalin too. I think he's about five foot two. Okay. How about Mao, the the first leader of the communist Chinese, five foot eleven? How about Xi Jinping, the guy who's got uh, concentration camps and is killing people left and right, five foot eleven? Fidel Castro, right? Fidel Castro, the sociopath who took over Cuba, six foot three. How about Donald Trump? Donald Trump displays displays nothing but narcissism. And a little bit of psychopathy and the quest for power. Six foot four. By the way, Barack Obama, not much different than, than Donald Trump when it comes to his narcissism. He's six foot two. Now, when we want to go into true sociopaths, true narcissistic sociopaths, what about Ted Budney? Five foot ten. What about John Wayne Gacy? Five foot nine. And of course, then you got to say Charles Manson. He was five foot two. So what do we see here? It doesn't seem like psychopathy, narcissism, quest for power, which she calls Machiavellianism, seems to affect short people or tall people. It seems to affect just about everybody. Oh, by the way, I'm shorter than normal too. I'm five foot seven. So just in case you were wondering, wondering to it. 
Okay, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you can understand why I actually did this on a Saturday because there's so much I wanted to talk about. I hope you have a, guys have a great weekend. We'll talk to you Monday. This is Gene, and you've listened to Dumbasses Talking Politics.